The ideals of the Arab Spring have attracted people from all around the globe. Some have gone to support a rebellion, as Nicole Mansfield may have done in Syria. Others have traveled to countries like Egypt, Libya, and Tunisia full of hope, hope that in places where revolutions overthrew dictators, society would be different and democracy would flourish. The BBC's Shaima Khalil went back to Egypt, the country of her birth. She returned to her hometown of Alexandria to see what life there is like two years after Egypt's revolution. Shaima Khalil produced a series of documentaries getting at the state of things in a way few journalists have. Today and next week, we'll be hearing bits from that series, Egypt's Challenge, starting with this scene. This is all I need to tell me I'm in Alexandria. I'm looking at six baskets of freshly caught fish and shrimps and crabs and you could just smell the salty water on them. This reminds me of my grandmother's house because I remember Fridays where my father used to come with baskets just like this one full of shrimp and squid and and crabs and my grandmother would have this huge pot where she'd cook the crab and the whole house, the whole neighborhood would smell of freshly cooked crab. And that's how Shima introduces us to her home of Alexandria. And Shima, I've never been there, but I can smell the seafood as you describe the scene. <laughs> it's amazing. It is It is very, very hard to escape, Marco. It's it's this thing that is just all-consuming. And, of course, Alexandria, being a coastal town, is very known for its fresh seafood. But I think it's also, I mean, you know, you can hear it in my voice, the excitement, because just looking at these baskets and smelling the fish brought back so many memories of my childhood because, really, Egyptians love their food, but Alexandrians love their seafood. Yeah, you sound very excited. So tell us a (laughs) bit about why you chose to go back now to Egypt and what you expected to find. I think that the way that Egypt's been covered in the last two years has been really kind of headline news. So when violence happens, when demonstrations break out outside the presidential palace or Tahrir Square. But, you know, to me, this was my home country going through a very fundamental transition. And what I wanted to do was to kind of really gauge how this transition, how this change was happening, but also just to kind of present a variety of Egyptian voices and a variety of Egyptian locations. Because another thing that I noticed about the coverage of the international media to Egypt was that it's very Cairo-centric. And I just wanted to kind of through this series say, look, you know, it's a vast country. So many different places have all experienced the revolution in different ways. And here's what they have to say. Well, we'll hear some of those voices today and next week. Let's start off, though, with somebody in your own family. Uh, Your cousin Heba voted for Mohamed Morsi. She (laughs) had high hopes, uh, but now she's disappointed. So let's listen to what she has to say. Everyone supported him, including all the revolutionary powers and all the youth. So when he makes the right decisions, people support him, even when they are not from the Muslim Brotherhoods. I don't know why did he drift away from this path. I guess this is because he wants to empower the Muslim Brotherhoods. It's about their own benefits, not about Egypt's benefits. This is the turning point for us. You know, there is a nickname for those who voted for Morsi, the the lemon squeezers, that we we Mm. squeeze lemon over things that we don't like their taste. We are the lemon squeezers. So Heba is one of the lemon squeezers. How bad is life? (laughs) It's a great phrase. How bad is life for these lemon squeezers these days? You know, I I, I think the worst thing for the lemon squeezers is the sense of disappointment and the sense of feeling 
cheated almost because, you know, there was a, a very stark moment really during the elections when basically Egyptians were confronted with either someone from the Muslim Brotherhood or someone who served under Hosni Mubarak. And for many of those who went out to Tahrir Square, that was just going to be impossible. It just worked against everything they had hoped for. So the only person they had to turn to was Mohammed Morsi. And basically the lemon squeezer is, is an expression saying, you know what, you're not really our first choice or our second choice, but you're kind of our only choice at the moment. And we're, you know, we're kind of counting on you to step up here. And unfortunately, he didn't. Unfortunately, on so many occasions, Marco, he's proved to be incompetent of leading the country out of this crisis. And I think the problem really is with the lemon squeezers and Egyptians at the moment is that Egypt is no longer a country in a transitional phase. I think Egypt is a country that is in a crisis and it doesn't have the proper leadership to lead it out of that crisis. Well, just like here, if you're squeezing lemons, you're trying to make the best out of a bad thing. Exactly, yeah. Shaima, you also speak with some of the new leaders in Egypt, and I was struck by how forthcoming the Muslim Brotherhood spokesman was with you. He admits to his party buying votes by making food donations. Let's hear that. It's a race. Don't blame the Muslim Brotherhood or the uh, Salafist people that they provide the poor people what they need. Blame yourself why you don't do the same. And you are more rich than the Muslim Brotherhood. Go and do it, and we will see the results. So, Shaima, if I'm not mistaken, he was saying that we bought votes better than the other guys? Well, yeah, not in so many words, but that was essentially it. I mean, the the question to him really was, look, you know, the fact is people vote for you, not because you have a vision, not because you have a, a strategy. It's because you just provide services. And he said, well, yes, we provide services. And if people want to provide more services, you know, let them go ahead. But I mean, one thing that it reflects, obviously, is how these people get votes. But I, I also think that it just reflects a very primal, basic political process. People are still getting to grips with how, you know, with political process, with why is it that you go out and vote for someone. For many Egyptians at the moment, because of the dire economic circumstances, it's the person that provides the services. It's the person that you can turn to when you're in a crisis who can be there for you. Were there things that you found that gave you hope? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you know, this sense of empowerment of young people, it never, ever ceases to amaze me only because, you know, I've grown up in Egypt. I was a teenager in Egypt and never in my time growing up there had I thought of changing the reality of the country where I lived. Never had I thought that I could be an agent of change. I could be an agent for this country to to be better. I just thought, you know what? The president's name is Hosni Mubarak. His son's name is Gamal Mubarak. He's probably going to be the next president. And that's that. And to speak to all these young people now who stand up to authority, who hold them to account, to who basically say, look, you will not get away with whatever it is that you do, because we will keep you in check was so inspiring. And you see it on so many levels. But, you know, I would say that the prospects for a young person in Egypt aren't very high. And and then I must say, you know, there are people that said, you know, we'll stay. This is going to get better. And other people have said, you know what, we've done our bit. I think we should leave. So, you know, you get a mixture of opinion. So the people who say stay, things will get better, do they kind of see that revolutions are always a little unstable in the beginning and eventually, if you work hard enough, things might get better? Is that their hope? Yeah, I think what what they're doing is they're kind of working through their disappointment. I think that they have expected or wanted things to change a lot faster for them, and that hasn't happened. But I think that many realize that there have been mistakes on the part of the revolutionaries. They were in revolutionary mode for too long, and they didn't engage in the political process as 
as much as they should have. And I think now they're kind of recalculating their steps. But ultimately, I think everybody recognizes that what has been achieved is huge. And, you know, one of my really good friends, a young journalist, said, look, you have to imagine this. A couple of years ago, during the Mubarak time, when we used to just assemble kind of a a bunch of us, we knew that we weren't going to go home that day. We have toppled this regime. Mm. And we just need to keep reminding ourselves that this is what we were able to do. Powerful stuff. Well, we'll hear more from your series next week. And listeners, you can hear all six 30-minute episodes of Shaima Khalil's documentary series, Egypt's Challenge. We've got a link to them at theworld.org. Shaima, thank you very much. Thanks, Marco. Thanks for having me.